Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Cleveland.com, Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Talk to Ryan Day, Greg Stoudrawa, and Al Washington on Tuesday. That will influence what we talk about. Also, we'll talk about the commitment, the recruit that the Buckeyes got on Tuesday. I don't want to get too much into some of the Indiana stuff. I thought we had, compared to how much we talked about an opponent some weeks, I thought we had more interesting Indiana talks, especially about Indiana's defense, than we did on some weeks, but let's save that for the preview show uh, that will drop here on Friday. I am thinking maybe rapid fire for Thursday. I feel like we haven't done that in a while. So I think we might reach out to the texters 614-350-3315 and do that. So I want to go over primarily what we learned about the Buckeyes from the people we talked to today. And I do want to start with steel chambers in the linebacker room. Nathan, we talked about, because we haven't talked to Al Washington since the season started. We talked about the transfer out of Dallas Gant. We talked about the transfer of Kayvon Pope. We'll get into a little bit of that later, but we have to talk about like what they have right now. And what they have right now is six scholarship linebackers who are healthy, which isn't a ton, but they're also only playing two linebackers. And I do think the most interesting of those guys is steel chambers. Ryan day was asked about steel chambers role. I, I just felt like we kind of, not even a vibe, it's like what they said, that we are going to see more steel chambers in this second half of the season. So far, number of snaps in each game through six games for steel chambers, 9-9, 32 in the Akron game, which is a lot of blowout snaps, 11, and then 39 last week against Maryland. Again, that was a blowout, but at least that's a Big Ten opponent, not last week, but two weeks ago. Where do you think this is headed with Steel Chambers, Nathan? And will it be a good thing for the defense if he plays more? I mean, the thing that makes it hard to judge that um, progression of snaps is because there was at least one one of those games where Cody Simon also got banged up and they took him out early. I think that might have influenced those snaps. It's just whether you think he's going to jump all the way up to being like a first string inside linebacker for this team. And I don't know that I'm have seen that with my eyes where I believe that that is his destination. 
And I don't know that they're going to play a lot of offenses that scream for a coverage linebacker on early downs, at least not in the big 10 season. And so just, I go ahead. Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying, I, I think we, I'm not dismissing that it could happen. I'm just saying that I haven't seen that yet with my eyes. I think we also need to, as we talked about a little bit, um, you and I, I can't remember if it was one that Steven was on, if it was just you and me that we're talking about just kind of how this defense has developed and where usually you'd rather just have like the two linebackers that, that, that are just out there all the time. And whereas this one is a little bit, it's just a different setup. And maybe this, we need to not be dissatisfied with a guy who is only a late down linebacker, but if he's great at it, who cares that he's only out there as a late down linebacker. The, the bottom line is, do we think he's going to take snaps away from Taraja Mitchell and Cody Simon, who are clearly have been, at least the last several games, the top two linebackers? Steven, do you think that is possible, that Steel Chambers will start playing on first and second down against a typical offense when normally we'd see Simon and Mitchell out there? Yes, Mitchell, no Simon, and it's not because of who I think is better. It's just because they're not technically doing the same job in there even though yes Mike and Will are pretty interchangeable it's not completely the same job one is a little bit more diagnose quarterback of the defense and the other ones go see the ball go get the ball I do think there could be a world where Steel Chambers can start doing a little bit more Will linebacker things there is a little difficulty here Nathan when you say inside linebackers we just mean Will and Mike because right. Right. I mean, they don't, which is basically the only two linebacker spots they have anymore, because even Dallas Gantt was playing a little bit as like a Sam linebacker, third backer in the game against Minnesota, against a heavy run team. If they face Iowa or Wisconsin, maybe we'll see that. And I don't even maybe Steel Chambers would be that. Maybe it would be somebody else. I don't maybe be Eichenberg. I don't know, because early in the year it was Dallas Gantt. I don't know who that would be right now, but that's really only against heavy run teams that are playing like multiple tight ends. So when you say inside linebacker, you're referencing like the two starting linebackers for Ohio state. Yeah. And when, and it's important that you point that out because when steel chambers plays, he is playing inside linebacker because they only have two linebacker spots. Right. So, I mean, but I'm, I guess I'm, so the difference isn't between inside and out in this defense right now, it's sort of early down, late down, like passing down standard down. And it, would he be a like standard down regular linebacker? I'm still a little bit skeptical of that the one thing that I, I want to make sure that we, cause within the praise that these, this coaching staff has given steel chambers, if praise is the right word, then, you know, Kerry Combs two weeks ago, last week brought up, um, he was the one who brought up that sea ball, see the guy and go like he, he sees, he, he, he makes read, he goes, but what did he also say along the, when he made that compliment, he said, but he doesn't always know, he doesn't always make the right read. So yes, he's, he, he like kind of acts on impulse and, and there's a value to that, but I don't know that it overrides the value of knowing what you're supposed to be seeing. Well, no, but I think, correct reads. I, I think if you believe he's going to play more, it's because you believe he's making the right reads more often, right? That the longer he plays a position that he's only been playing for a season that he'll get better at it. And cause at some point, so yes, but, Let's say once he knows what he's doing, is he a better linebacker than Taraji Mitchell? I don't know. Like, I don't know. 
potentially, if he's playing at this level and it's basically off instinct, and I think you've used this analogy before, if you've got two guys who are the same speed, but one guy's got perfect form and the other one's got ugly form, who's the faster runner? It's the guy with the ugly form. So if if Steel Chambers is playing this well in their minds and he has no idea what he's doing, really, then ideally, once he starts knowing what he's doing, he's going to look better than Taraj Mitchell, who does know what he's doing, is playing right now. So if that's the theory, then, yeah, he there is a potential that he'll be better than Taraj Mitchell. Taraj Mitchell is a leader, is a solid guy. I think Steel Chambers mm-hmm. might be a better athlete than yeah. him, might be a better attack, a gap, make a play guy than Taraj Mitchell. And so it's a matter of trust, right? I think they trust Taraj Mitchell. But if you need a guy to, you know, knife in the backfield and tackle a Michigan running back on third and two. I don't know, Nathan, I, it might be steel chambers as long as he's not going in the wrong spot and allowing that Michigan running back to make a cut and run 40 yards on third and two. Yeah. I think some of this will come down. Hopefully we get a chance to see it and make the determination based on that. Right. It won't be speculative uh, perpetually because we've actually, you know, obviously we we're making our judgments about Taraja Mitchell and Cody Simon and Tommy Eichenberg. Because I think that the first step for Chambers would be to like surpass Tommy Eichenberg as a guy who came in on, on earlier standard downs. Then we, we were making those reads based on what we've seen him do in that situation. And we haven't really seen Steel Chambers in that same situation. Do you guys think, and I, I'm not even looking at the, the roster yet, so maybe they're closer than I think. Do you think body type comes into this at all? Like physique comes into this at all when we're talking about linebackers? Because Taraja's got those pythons, and Steel Chambers doesn't quite have that physique yet. No, I don't think. But that, uh, not as much in 2021 as maybe it would have a decade ago, because in the, especially in this four-two-five defense that they're playing, yes, they're inside linebackers, but also because you're playing this type of base defense, they are going to have to cover a little bit. So I don't not I don't know if linebackers need to be as big as they were 10 years ago. I think Steele's size is fine. Last game against Maryland, linebacker snaps. And again, it was a blowout. Steel Chambers, 39. Tommy Eichenberg, 34. Cody Simon, 30. Taraja Mitchell, 28. The week before against Rutgers, Taraja Mitchell, 38. Cody Simon, 36. Eichenberg and Chambers, 11 each. The week before that, I guess, well, the week before that, I guess Akron's not even really probably worth talking about. Like the week before that, Sharaja Mitchell uh, did play, which right. opened up a lot of snaps for basically Eichenberg and Cody Simon to basically play the whole game. And even at that point, see, that's the thing. In a game where in a game against Tulsa where Taraja Mitchell didn't play, Steel Chambers only had 17 snaps when Cody Simon had 68 and Tommy Eichenberg had 53. If that happened this week and Taraja Mitchell didn't play, I don't think Steel Chambers would only play 17 snaps. I think he'd have a a bigger role, right? That that's how far down he played nine and nine in the first two games. And then like with the defense in chaos and one of their starting linebackers out against a Tulsa team that was within a touchdown of Ohio state in the fourth quarter, Steel Chambers only played 17 snaps. And I think there must have been something in his progress and in what they saw from the linebackers then where they said, well, we just, we'd like to see a little bit more of this guy. Right. So I don't, and then Nathan, I don't have the exact quote we were talking about earlier, 
like what the exact question was. But when Ryan Day, I think the first question today on Tuesday afternoon, the press conference from Dave Biddle was about steel chambers. And it was along the lines of could his role increase? And Ryan Day just said yes. And again, not what we think, but what we're hearing that hit my ear as as not coach speak. That to me was a nod to like, this guy is playing better. There is opportunity there. You should expect for him to get more opportunities. That's how I read that sort of definitive one word answer. So do you guys think right now in this defense, there is a difference? Like, would it, is there a difference between taking snaps away from Mitchell or taking snaps away from Simon in this defense? Do you see those two positions as being so similar? Because one of the other things that I have been, that makes me, I don't know if skeptical is too strong of a word, but the thing that gives me some hesitation is because I think Cody Simon's also getting better. It's not like, I mean, Steel Chambers has gotten better, but it still is Cody Simon, I think, over the course of this season. I feel like he's been more stable as the season has gone along. I don't know as much. Uh, Chambers or Mitchell has been a little bit harder to read again because I think he has, been, has had some injury issues too, but the, the, the level of play maybe hasn't been as consistent as we had thought it would be. I think it hasn't been. So maybe he would be the one that w- he would take the take his snaps away and maybe there isn't that big of a gap athletically between steel chambers and Pete Werner. I do think, I mean, clearly early on Tommy Eichenberg and Taraji Mitchell were the starters in week one, right? Cody Simon didn't start. (laughs) Right. So, and then Cody Simon kind of, and that Eichenberg and Simon were both playing Mike and then Simon kind of took it. And so I think right now, right. Simon is a starter at middle linebacker and Tommy Eichenberg is backup. Taraji Mitchell is a starter at will linebacker, weak side linebacker. And I think steel chambers is his backup. And then I also, th- I think Taraja Mitchell, they don't love on passing downs. They don't love him in coverage. So then you can play Steel Chambers and Cody Simon together on passing downs. And that's your, that's your nickel look, right? I, so I do think it probably would be more taking Mitchell snaps, I guess, right? That again, sort of what I think, Stephen, what you had said before, well, if Steel Chambers is kind of new to the position if he's at the mic and he's making the calls or whatever. I think you probably could also just have Taraja make calls if he was in the game with Taraja. I think it probably is that, right? I think it's probably would Steel Chambers start eating away some of the Taraja Mitchell snaps when in the first game of the year, Taraja Mitchell played 70 and Steel Chambers played nine. We compared, <laughs> here we go again with Tough Borland. We compared the Cody Simon, uh, Tommy Eichenberg situation and what Baron Browning and, and Tough Borland were in 2019. Maybe we were just, maybe we're right just with the wrong two people. Maybe that that kind of split up is now going to be at the will linebacker spot instead of Mike linebacker, because yeah, uh, Tommy Eichenberg started to start the season, but also it just seemed like I went with the older guy to start the year because I was more comfortable, but understanding that the younger, more talented guy was coming and that how's how that played out. Maybe we see a similar thing at will linebacker going forward. We're not, he didn't completely just take Taraja Mitchell off the field, but when we start looking at those snap counts, you know, they're pretty much splitting that will linebacker spot the same way that tough and Baron split that uh, Mike linebacker spot 19. And the, 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 I guess there's two more things I want to cover here on linebackers. One is Nathan, there's only two other healthy scholarship linebackers right now because Mitchell Melton's hurt and Reed Carrico, basically Al Washington kind of said, he, you know, he's a first year guy. He's not really ready to do much right now, but he'd be, like the sixth guy, if, if mm-hmm. somehow they needed a guy, he'd be there. And then Neoteote is figuring it out, yeah, but not, not, not really much. involved. Yeah. And these are the other, the only, these, and then it's these other four guys. And then again, just to clarify, not that we don't know this, Craig Young is not in the linebacker room. 
Mm-hmm. Craig Young is a bullet and the bullets are with the DBs. So that's a different position. There are two linebackers on this team. And as Al Washington said, there are some packages where you play three, you play four. We haven't seen the package where they play four because they haven't played Wisconsin this year. And we haven't really seen the package where you play three really since like Minnesota for the most part, maybe there was a tiny bit more of Dallas Gantt. So I guess the issue is Nathan, does this matter? Does steel chambers getting more snaps or not actually have a tangible effect on the defense and the team? I think the linebacker play has been adequate and it's gotten more adequate as the season has gone along. Man, is that damning with fan praise? <laughs> it was, it was sub adequate to start the year, I would argue, and now is adequate. But if you think steel chambers is better than one of the, I mean, if you think steel chambers can raise the level of play in that room, then I think it does matter. And I think it will matter more when they play more athletic teams. Again, I don't know how much of a difference it makes as far as them winning the big 10. Cause I don't know what offense threatens them at this point, really. Like what, like, I mean, okay. I know Penn state, but like, but this isn't the things that Penn state will hurt them with. I don't think the linebackers, they don't have fire. Well, they don't have Sean Clifford can run. Sean Clifford actually is a pretty mm-hmm. decent runner at times. So I do think the Clifford run game, if he plays in two weeks is a little bit of an issue. Kenneth Walker, the third at Michigan state, who is on mid season, all American teams. Yeah. And is in the conversation as the best running back in the country. That matters. Your linebackers matter against Michigan State. And then Michigan's a run team right now. And Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, if they're going to do that, somebody's going to have to tackle them. I do think possibly, right? And it, this we didn't really ask out Washington in those thir- three and four linebacker looks, like, who's your third linebacker? That might be, right? If that's like, well, we got to yeah. tackle Kenneth Walker. We got to tackle Blake Corum and Hassan Hacken- Haskins. They're going to offer more 12 personnel. We're going to have three linebackers on the field more often. And at the very least, Steel Chambers is our third best linebacker. He can play Mm -hmm. Sam. We'll figure it out. That's who we're going to put on the field when we put three on the field. I think what it comes down to is in those situations where we only have two linebackers on the field and they're playing those run teams. Do you want a guy who has the is, is more athletic in that second level, or do you want the guy who makes the right read at first and fills the gap? You know what I'm saying? And that may be still what steel chambers to, in my mind has to kind of prove. Cause is that, I mean, that's basically if you are. So again, I think in that situation against a, maybe a Michigan state or a Michigan, you're not taking the bullet off the field anymore. Cause you can't take Ronnie Hickman off the field and you're going to still probably play too deep. A lot of the time. You're probably taking that cover safety off the field. You're taking Marcus Williamson or Cam Martinez off the field to put in the third linebacker because they only have two receivers out there. So you cover your two receivers with the two outside corners. And now you're playing two or three tight ends or whatever, or a fullback. And you have that third linebacker in there. So it comes down to just like, who do you want on the field? You can figure it out, right? I think you probably put Taraja Mitchell at Sam if you needed to and put steel chambers at will and figure it out. It comes down to, do you want Tommy Eichenberg or Steel Chambers on the field? Because that's basically the only option, right, Stephen? Like that, in the Michigan State-Michigan games, that might be a real choice they would have to make because I could see more three linebacker looks. Yes, or, I don't know, just to throw this wrench out there, um, I'm pretty sure we've seen it already where they had two bullets on the field where you had Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman out there together. Could just do that, too. 
That's yeah, always an option, you especially line. with the yeah with the way they've used him. They've had him up on the line sometimes, and they've had him back. They 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 have never had him as far back as Ronnie Hickman's been, but they've had him in the like the linebacker area. But they've also had him up on the line of scrimmage. So your options are yeah, you can put a third linebacker on, or you can have a guy who spent the majority of his career in the linebacker room and is now with the defensive backs and gives you a little bit of both. Yeah, but why would you do? But what is it about Craig Young's skill set that's going to help? Is he a guy who's better, who's going to be better at tackling Kenneth Walker the third or Blake Corum? Because, like, this is the situation, like, when you were putting Justin Hilliard in the game, right? And when mm-hmm. you were having this is where it was tough Borland time. You just need guys who can fill gaps and tackle and shed blocks. And I don't know. That's, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think Craig Young, I think we all remain very intrigued by Craig Young. Mm-hmm. But if it's like, we just need somebody to tackle somebody. I don't know that it is Craig Young, who yeah. is in the DB's room right now. He's not a linebacker. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I do. This is, you know, well, I, can, I just think the point that Steven was making was that in that case, it would just look more like a conventional defense in some ways. Like Hickman would just be a second safety. He wouldn't really be a bullet at that point. No, I know. So he's the second safety. But why would you have Craig Young on the field instead of Tommy Eichenberg? or steel chambers given what Craig young practices on a daily basis. Like Craig young is being a bullet, which right now is practically like just being a deep safety. And if that's what he's practicing and they, we've talked a lot about like, Oh, if they move around a little bit, you just need a third linebacker because Michigan state and Michigan are using two tight ends a lot and you've got to get in. Yeah. You got to cover the tight end, but actually they're just going to mostly block with that guy. You got to stop the run. I just feel like probably steel chambers or Tommy Eichenberg's, more suited for that. And maybe they're making a decision that they would rather have it be steel chambers, even though he has coverage ability. If he also has shoot the gap, make a tactile ability that might come in very handy when you're trying to keep Kenneth Walker from getting his feet moving in the backfield. There are some good teams in the big 10. This is, this is, this is when we get down to nitty gritty conversations like this, and it's not the nittiest nor the grittiest. It's not a film. Okay. Talk (laughs) my friend. uh, This sounds like a Nathan Baird thing. Are you a are you a fan of the nitty gritty dirt band, Nathan? Is that I'm you? I'm familiar with them. I wouldn't say that I'm a fan. I had a fan. I had a friend in middle school who like loved the nitty gritty dirt band. I've never heard one of their songs. I don't know what they sing. I'm sure they're lovely. It's an interesting name to me. I always call them the nitty gritty, dirty, filthy, grubby band. But um, I hope those guys are doing okay. When we get down to the details here. It does, I think, reinforce all the stuff, Stephen, that we've kind of talked about of, man, we sure we got to still need this team to get tested a little bit. Like there are some things that we think <laughs> yeah. we know that we don't know for sure. And it's like, oh, you know, like when they play Kenneth Walker, the third, who's an all American running back right now. And the only other time this year that they've played good running backs, Mo Ibrahim was kind of doing his thing before he got hurt. And CJ Verdell, Verdell ran for 170 yards. So that wasn't great. And then they really haven't seen a running back since then. Right. I haven't like, seen anything since then. All we've Kenneth done. Walker is Kenneth Walker is waiting. Oh yeah. We haven't seen anything since then. All we've done for three weeks and we keep reinforcing this. Now we know what they're going to do over the next couple of weeks here. We're going to find out is it actually going to work, which yes. In, in the world of where this defense was to start the season, that's a good thing that they spent the last three weeks finding out what they were going to do. Because when you don't know either one of those things, that's when Oregon beats you at home. And that's when Minnesota is leading at halftime and Tulsa is 
in the game. Now that we know the first part, now we can figure out if it works or not. So that I, I think they're in a good spot with that. I will say this before we move on. They got some questions about depth today. You guys brought it up. I don't think the linebacker depth is a problem. Now, is the overall talent in the room maybe a problem right, yet, right now? Yes, but that's coming in three months here because he, he just happens to live in Dayton right now. But the change in defensive scheme and now that they're actually playing this bullet and just talking to some uh, people in the, in the program, this is fine as far as from a depth situation because they have to recruit the room differently and build it differently when you know you're only playing two guys. So I don't know if you know depth is an issue with this linebacker room right now. It's just they're not very good. It's like they only have six scholarship guys, but they only need them for two spots. Because if we yeah. if we were thinking of it, if we were thinking of the bullet as a linebacker, they have three bullets. Then you'd say they have nine scholarship guys because I think they're fine with Rodney Hickman, Court Williams, and Craig Young. Mm-hmm. But the reason they say we only have six scholarship healthy scholarship linebackers is because they had nine. Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope left, and Mitchell Milton's been hurt all year. So that mm-hmm. goes from nine to six. But if you were thinking, it's not like they have six guys for three spots. They have six guys for two spots. Mm-hmm. So, And when they had eight, two of them didn't play, which is why they only have six. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I do think, I think that's a good point to make, Stephen, that, you know, if they had another injury, right, if the wrong guy got hurt, it's more about the talent, though, than than the the depth that, I don't know. I mean, you have you have first, second, and third string. So, I don't know. When you say the guy's coming, I just want to double check on this. You mean CJ Hicks, the leader of I this club, right? I do. Yes. But is is he a bullet or a linebacker? Because now that we see what a bullet is, linebacker. Is he, uh, he is going to be a linebacker. He is He's going to sure be sure linebacker. Will. Will or Mike linebacker for sure. And, now and, that we've seen what the bullet is, and I think some of this is just because Ronnie Hickman's played so well that they've kind of changed their concept of it a little bit but yeah he is for sure a will linebacker and also because they changed their defense and they figured out that like they needed to have more of a second safety look deep and ronnie hickman's Mm -hmm. the guy to do it was there not a time when cj hicks was maybe more associated with the bullet position back in the world where it was craig young and it was we want our version of Isaiah Simmons, you know, that kind of the freak who can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, it made sense that maybe he's a bullet because he kind of does all that for Archbishop Alter right now. But now that we've some things have been figured out and they figured out what they want to do with the rest of this class. And honestly, CJ's just grown as a human being because he's still a teenager. It's very clear what his role is on his team. They want him to be a sea ball, get ball type of guy. And he has a chance to be a sea ball, get ball guy. Yeah. In the Ryan Shazier, Jerome Baker, mm-hmm. maybe kind of playmaker that we have not. Pete Werner, listen, Pete Werner was a second round pick and had like 50 tackles for the Saints the other week. Yeah. We know what that looks like, right? And I don't know. I, I'm not going to, they don't quite have it right now. But CJ, do you think CJ Hicks will play next year? I do. I don't think he'll start, but. Yeah, he'd be the freshman I'd pick right now that is ha- has a regular role from day one. Okay. Okay, that'll be interesting to see. Um, again, I think the linebackers, I think to your point, Nathan, it's right, like adequate, maybe getting a little more than adequate, but haven't super been needed and actually might be needed more here in the second half with how some things are going to emerge. All right. Yeah, we- I want to say real quick, uh, 
Kenneth Walker, I think the best defense so far he's played might be Indiana, and he averaged 3.7 yards a carry against him last week. Well, nobody's so, played anybody. <laughs> well, but no, my point being that, like, I actually I voted for him um, on a on a midseason All American team actually for the Same. AP, and I believe that that was um, legitimate. But I'm still skeptical that he's like some kind of world beater that's going to take it to to Ohio State. I, I just think this may be another year where like the real test for this defense doesn't come until the playoff if they get there and then maybe it's too late. I th- but he might be like on the top end of good big 10 player, right? That Yeah. I don't think he's as good as Ibrahim. I think don't. Ibrahim was better. Yeah. And Ibrahim <sighs> did some stuff. His like his yards, he also got the ball a lot before he got hurt against Ohio State. So like his yards per carry, right? Wasn't through the roof, but it was like well, they were doing weird effective. They were doing funky stuff with the offensive line with Minnesota that they still kind of do. Uh, Michigan State is just more conventional with it. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, well, he's not Bijan Robinson. Okay. Well, right. Like, like he's not Bijan Robinson. He's not Travion Henderson. But aren't he's those the, the two? Down. Aren't those the yeah. two best running backs in the country? <laughs> and so, but but that's I guess that's also my point. Like this defense, I guess that's maybe more the point. This defense is going to get to face Travion Henderson a whole lot between now and the end of the season. So maybe it doesn't matter when they get to face Kenneth Walker. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Even like the best teams, like Brian Robinson at Alabama and Kennedy Brooks at Oklahoma and, you know, Zamir White and Kendall Milton, some of the guys, text, you know, Georgia runs two or three different guys out there. Like, again, C.J. Verdell, I didn't think C.J. Verdell was a world beater before Ohio State played him. Mean, he ran for 170 yards. And because the, lineback- the linebackers and safeties looked a little frozen at times. And I didn't think he was – he wasn't hurtling guys and juking guys out of their shoes – but he was hitting holes and getting yards. And so if Kenneth Walker is a version of that and maybe even a little better, that's, you know, he doesn't have to be B. John Robinson uh, to make a, a difference if this defense, you know, isn't on point. But we have, we have time to get to that. We have time to get to that. It's interesting. I mean, this is, this is a, you think about what's left for Ohio State. Nathan, you've made the point, like the Indiana offense doesn't really have anything. But you think about Jahan Dotson and Penn State, you think about David Bell and Purdue. You think about Kenneth Walker the third at Michigan State. You think about all those running backs from Michigan. Even Adrian Martinez, who's flashed a tiny, tiny bit at times. You know, they are going to have a couple playmakers here in the second half of the schedule that if they're not right, I think it's going to, they're going to get exposed because they're going to be facing, I think, some NFL guys. Yeah, I think the perspective that I have on it, and it, it we need to make sure we're looking at it the right way. Cause I don't know that any of those teams can score enough to beat Ohio state, but let's go back to a year ago. The game that's coming up now, the Indiana game last year, Indiana exposed things in Ohio state that didn't really get fixed enough and probably couldn't have gotten fixed enough to beat Alabama. So what can get exposed here over the next six weeks in a, that in games that Ohio state's not probably going to lose that can make them better for when they play a, an offense that is more dynamic, an offense that has more than one of those guys, and an offense that can go out and put 40 on you if you're not – or 55 or whatever Alabama scored and, 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 and end your season. I think that's really kind of more the way I look at it. And I think that those guys that you're mentioning, you know, Dotson, David Bell um, – by the way, I think people need to brace themselves for the fact that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are playing for one all-Big Ten spot. David Bell's locking the other one up, I think. Whether well, that's he had 200 yards against Iowa. Ooh. Yeah. Was that, is that, that was his best game. Is he, what's his, 
Well, that's the problem too. Like people, Jahan Dotson's like Mel Kuyper's yeah. number one receiver prospect. That's true. So it might I mean, not even be playing sh- for one. And Dotson's playing for one. So maybe I shouldn't say Bell's got one locked up, but I think there's no way both of them are going to be first team all Big Ten. I, th- I think, yeah, I think there's a better chance that neither one gets all first team all Big Ten because all three of, yeah. of each other just cancel each other out than both of them getting it at this point. And I don't even know which one would get one of the spots. So David Bell, 136 receiving yards per game, first in the Big Ten. Dante Demas Jr. from Maryland out for the year. He's second. Garrett Wilson is third at 91 yards. Jahan Dotson and Chris Olave are tied for fourth. They each have, this is crazy, they each have six receptions for 494 yards uh, so far more this than, season. More, uh, uh, no. How many receptions? Are they... They each oh they each have they've each played six games for four hundred and ninety four oh. <laughs> yards. They have the same number of games, same number of yards, eighty two point three yards per game. Dotson actually has thirteen more receptions than Chris Olave, forty three to thirty. But in yards per game, it's <laughs> of healthy guys. It's Bell, Wilson, Olave, and Dotson tied. So you Jackson have to seven. choose. You have to choose. I mean, those are going to be your four top vote getters for all big 10 mm-hmm. receiver and two are going to be first team and two are going to be second team. So, um, but David Bell, David Bell murdered Iowa by himself, but I, this Iowa defense just got destroyed by David Bell. And so if David Bell can destroy Iowa's defense, I think David Bell can destroy Ohio state's defense. The difference is Iowa has not just an average offense, but an incompetent offense in a lot of ways. And Ohio state's offense is very good. So, David Bell might be able to make sure Purdue posts like 30. So then it's like, all right, well, Iowa can't score 30 against any team with the heartbeat. I'm so out. The whole college football playoff show for the Tuesday edition that's available on Apple Podcasts was just me bailing on Iowa harder than anyone's ever bailed on anything in his life. (laughs) I'm just like out. I'm almost angry that they were the number two team in the country and they lost at home 24-7 against Purdue in a game when like, it wasn't a letdown. It's like clearly Purdue just like all along is better than Iowa. Purdue is a better football team than Iowa because Purdue has David Bell and Aiden O'Connell as Purdue's quarterback played better than Spencer Petras. And like Iowa's defense, I know they had a couple dinged up corners, but like once they played a, a skill guy with some skill, like they didn't, they couldn't do anything. They had no answer. And they're, if they don't win the turnover battle for nothing, like they're out. So. Penn State would have won that game if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt. I so. rewatched it again. I mean, Penn State would have won by 30 yeah. if Sean Clifford didn't get hurt. And then they just put in a guy who, like, was just not prepared in any way. Anyway, out on Iowa. But I do think David Bell is a problem for Ohio State's defense. But Ohio State's solution to David Bell, the Purdue receiver, is not their defense. It's their offense. It's just outscore right. David Bell and you'll be fine. But I don't think you're going to stop David Bell. Yeah. Nobody's upset in Ohio State 24 to 7. Correct. That is correct. Okay. When we come back, we'll talk a little recruiting. We'll talk offensive line and some other things we learned about the Buckeyes next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan, Stephen, try the text at 614-350-3315. Stephen, recruiting commitment on Tuesday, first one in a while. Break it down for the people. Yeah, Kenyatta Jackson out of Florida, same high school as Ryan Turner, the, the Ohio State cornerback commit, Chaminade. 
of Madonna Prep in Hollywood, Florida, the number 78 player, the number seven edge rusher in the country. That's a new classification for 247. They call them defensive linemen. No, they call them edge rushers now. Um, pretty big one. It's been a while. The last time they had a commitment was July 9th when they had George Fitzpatrick, the offensive tackle, join along. And the theory with the defensive line recruiting has always been if they can get one guy to commit, it'll open the floodgates and it'll get the rest of the class. I, at first, it was up maybe around four or five guys they wanted to add. But the problem is, I don't think four or five guys are leaving the room the way that they maybe thought they would with guys like Tyreek Smith, Javante, Gene Baptiste, um, Zach Harrison, maybe haven't played up to a level where it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to be on NFL rosters at this time next year. So maybe they've had to tweak that a little bit. But yeah, this is the first of a long list of guys that they would love to join the class. Guys like Hero Canoe, Caden Curry, Amari Abor. Any night white, but yeah, just to, this should open up the floodgates for a lot of these guys who will be here for that Penn State game to maybe tag along as well. So the number fifteen commit for Ohio State, whose class is now back in the top five after getting this commitment. So and they're six points behind Penn State for the top class in the Big Ten. Did we figure was this a an assumed commitment, or was there any surprise to this, Stephen? I I. Ass- Yes, assuming in the sense that I thought he would be a Buckeye, I didn't think he'd be the first defensive lineman to join. I thought maybe Katie Curry would have pulled the trigger by now, um, but obviously he has not done that. So, it, but no, it's not a, a shock that he is a Buckeye. I think this has been coming for a while. It was pretty much, I understand Alabama was also in the top three, but it was pretty much a 50-50 split between Ohio State and Oklahoma. Okay, so Nathan, it is interesting to think about the potential sort of changing of the guard on the defensive line that we may see next season that, you know, I guess these guys can come back. Haskell Garrett, of course, is definitely gone. It was a surprise that he was back this year, but if we, if you, if you kind of think Zach Harrison might be gone, if you think Tyreek Smith might be gone, if you think Teron Vincent might be gone, it doesn't matter. Some of these guys, I, I, maybe none of those guys are having quite the years. We maybe they thought they would Tyreek Smith, of course, battling a bunch of injuries. I guess they all could come back. But sort of the easing in of JT and of Jack Sawyer that we've seen so far and of Tyleek Williams uh, and of Ty Hamilton, you know, there's not going to be any easing next year. Those guys, I think, are, are going to certainly have larger roles depending on what are the older guys, which guys come back or don't come back. You know, it's like could a guy like Jackson then work in into a role like Tyleek Williams or the two ends have worked in this year? Um, it's interesting to think about, I guess it's, you know, not that you need reassurance, but when you have, you know, JT Tuimaloau and Jack Sawyer doing what they're doing, it's like, well, yeah, no, Larry Johnson's still doing his thing. But whenever you kind of keep the pipeline going, it's like, yes, the pipeline is still going. Yeah. When you watch him, there are some really intriguing things athletically. I think when you're trying to evaluate a high school player, and I'm not going to pretend like I've watched hundreds of snaps of him. But it always helps if they look like they're doing it from in, in essentially the same um, environment that they would be doing in a college game, whereas he's coming at it more of like a stand-up rushing yep. end. And so I, there's the athleticism is intriguing. The size is intriguing. He's like 6'5", to what, 240-ish right now, something like that. So he's got some – like he, he looks kind of hulking out there on the field when he's playing. But I also think, you know, Jack Sawyer is running into this a little bit, too, where like just because you dominate as like an edge rusher at the high school level, there's a lot that goes into it at the college level. So I think what would maybe help Jackson is like there might be uh, a niche that he could fill uh, from a pass rush standpoint 
but he's going to have because of the depth that they should have up front next year. And it's starting to become like, you know, more, more veteran depth, even though it's, we're going to be talking about like sophomores in some cases, then that gives him time to sort of develop into the all around end that they're going to need him to be. Like there's just, there's times where you'll see him get in the backfield really quickly. And then because it's the high school level, he has time to like turn around and then chase a guy down from behind. And that's not going to be the case at the college level. I think there's going to just have to be some refinement in his all around game. Very Chandler Jones-ish, the way they use him down there. Um, where yeah, he's like a fourth linebacker, but he's pretty much a defensive end. I think Jack and T- J- JT are just perfect. He leans more Jack in terms of what he's going to have to develop once he gets into college. The pass rushing comes easy, but the stopping the run part is going to be a work in progress. And even like Larry Johnson himself, when we had him a couple right. of weeks ago, even sort of des- described Jack. I don't know if these were his exact words, but he basically was like, Jack's a little more of a finesse player and JT's yep. a little bit more of a power player. And sometimes if you can handle it physically, then if you're more of a power guy and can fill a gap and you can be more complete, that you're more ready right away than a guy who needs to bulk up and needs to figure out, I, I need to do more than just, you know, bend the edge and get to the passer. And so, um, an interesting commitment and more uh, proof that Larry Johnson still good at his job. I did want to read. I hadn't read. I haven't read of these. Some of these in a while. There are a couple of good reviews that I wanted to drop one from JR 1956 best uh, five-star review at Apple podcast, best blend of Ohio state football, Intel opinions and goofiness often simultaneously from mass buck. I like this one, five stars. I really enjoy this podcast. Doug is one of the best, and I really like Nathan and Steven. The frequency and length of the podcast are perfect for me because I, frankly, can't get enough of Buckeye talk. Adding the test messaging service was a brilliant move as it engages listeners directly. I prefer to the message boards. If I could change one thing about the podcast, it would be for Nathan and Steven to give Doug a Valium before every recording. <laughs> Doug has great insight at times, but he dominates the conversation and dismisses the opinions of Nathan and Steven. For that reason only, I prefer listening to Bill and Ari. Uh, Nathan and Steven, what do you think of that review? Actually, forget it. I don't care what you think about that review. All right, let's go to <laughs> just declining. One star review, just declining. It's from Matt, 5237. Used to be better. Used to tailor the pods to OSU fans. Now there's book sales, other pods, four hours of media navel gazing, and negativity and more negativity. My preferred college football pod is some other podcast. I don't know what it is. I still listen to Buckeye Talk and hope for better days. I don't know. I can't tell if that's a a a uh, slide against us or just podcast in general. Well, I liked the term navel gazing because, well, but also uh, we did we did one time we did the media thing. Yeah, one time. I know. One time. I know, and most people loved it. But that's all it takes, man. All you gotta do is miss one shot, and coach stops believing in you. I did. And I mean, to be fair, we did gaze at many different navels, innies, outies. Big ones, Who little did we ones. Decide had the best navel on the beat. That would be if you would like to investigate that and get back to us on that, Nathan. Uh, are we all? Well, you did the here? interviews. You should know. Hi, my name is. Uh, they were on name Zoom. Is, Why else are we doing is, them on Zoom? My name is Steve Hellwagon, and I'm an Audi. <laughs> are you? Are we all innies here? We got three innies, or what? Yeah. Do people even have Audis anymore? Do you have an Audi or an innie, Stephen? Innie. I mean, I have an innie, but also I don't know what the research is on Audis and innies. Yeah. To know if there was ever an in, th- I don't know if it was ever cool to have an Audi or any. I don't know. Because I don't. Yeah, I don't know how they decide that anymore. My 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 any. <laughs> you said how they decided as if you go. I want that to have a belly button. What isn't it? Just where they cut the umbilical cord? Or is that not right? 
Let me see. Well, then why see. would you ever? I, no, I think it's probably. Is it more than that? It's just your. It's just your body. It's just your body, Buckeye talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what causes an innie or an Audi belly button? Let's see. All right, I'm now reading from Healthline, which is one of these. Again, if you guys are like hypochondriacs and you just like page few and whenever you have a twinge you're like i better look that up what's what's happening in my body i'm going through those sites i'm I'm very familiar with these sites while a belly button isn't quite as unique as your fingerprint there are still lots of types out there i didn't even know that i thought there were just two types the first distinction is usually if the belly button is an any or an audi any belly buttons are like a little dent in your stomach i know what we don't need a description of an any belly button uh let's see how are belly buttons formed your belly button is a reminder of the place that once connected you to your mother via the umbilical cord. When you're born, the umbilical cord is cut and you have a small piece left called the umbilical stump. One to two weeks after birth, this stump falls off and what remains is your belly button. As a result, your belly button is essentially a scar. Whether it's an any or Audi depends on how your skin grows as it heals. Then it says you can't blame your doctor or parents for how your belly button is formed. Yeah. Your belly I didn't, button. I didn't think it was where it got cut. Your belly button is not the result of how a doctor clamped the umbilical cord. It is not the result of how a doctor or anyone else cut the umbilical cord. It is not the result of how your parents took care of the umbilical stump. So that's, I was wrong about that. I also think umbilical stump would be a tremendous name for a racehorse. Um, Or just like a nickname for a baseball player or a band, umbilical stump. Okay. So I like navel gazing. So if you guys want to drop the reviews, we'll certainly take them at Apple Podcasts. Good or bad, we are here for your honest opinions. And we were trying to get some honest opinions about the offensive line. Greg Stoudrawa, back surgery earlier this year, missed four days of work, said he was Zooming in the recovery room, said it made it, all the the pandemic stuff made it easier to coach from the recovery room when he had that back surgery because he got, most of you want to go back, Nathan, and sort of like watch the film. He said he basically got bumped into or run into on the sideline against Minnesota, and something happened. It sounded like he slipped a disc or something in his back, and he had that back surgery. He was very personable and funny. Not that he is not personable and funny all the time. I thought he was exceptionally stutterific on Tuesday in just a great way. And I don't know if it's because he's still on pain meds from his back medicine, or he's just jacked up because he might have the best offensive line in college football. Might have, maybe a little bit of both. I remember in 2019, the first time Studrawa came in for a Tuesday press conference, and it was almost like a big deal that he'd showed up at all. And people were like, and he, I think he even said like, Hey, this is the one time, like it wasn't like he was gruff with this, but he doesn't seem like someone who goes out of his way to get up in front of us and, do a, a comedy routine by any means, but today he was like, he was, uh, I thought he was in a great mood and we got a lot of um, interesting insight from him. And I, I think part of it is that maybe there's, you know, when, when you get something taken away from you, even for four days, um, maybe you appreciate even things like having to come in and answer questions from goofballs like me. So I, I thought his description of being in the hospital for the Tulsa game was pretty funny too, or I don't, maybe I shouldn't say he was in the hospital, but he was definitely watching the Tulsa game from afar. Yes. He said that he was you know, yelling at the TV, throwing things at the TV, trying to, to get somebody on a cell phone, even though he knows nobody on the sideline is carrying a cell phone to talk to. But he's just like, so it's probably I would I should we should <laughs> I wonder if like Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson have a bunch of weird voicemails <laughs> from the middle yeah. of that game. Like, why is he out like, there right now? <laughs> why is he out there? No, take him off the field. Stop putting him out there. 
because so I don't. I, I look forward to asking Kevin Wilson about that eventually. I I don't think the calling the sideline from home is completely kosher with the rules of how uh, coaching takes place in the Big Ten either. So they might have just been like, it's like it's stud again, like decline, <laughs> like stud. You can't call us in the middle of a game. But it's so, a legitimate thing because I remember last year this came up with coaches who had to miss games, like head coaches who missed games yeah. could not call in. Well, Ryan Day, mm-hmm. um, I remember yeah, that being a true. thing when Jeff Rom had to miss games for Purdue, like they couldn't call in during the game and communicate. Like there's a, there's even like a window, I think, like such and such time before a game, that communication yeah. is cut off. And one of, the, one of the funniest things that he said is, so we, if people don't know, Toby Wilson, who's been playing some second team center, is the son of Kevin Wilson, the offensive coordinator. He's a walk on, played high school football in the Columbus area. And uh, Greg Sudrava was asked about Toby Wilson today. And he said, didn't he, he said something like, you know, he's playing great, but his dad's a so and so or whatever. He said in the meeting, I think he said in the meeting they had with Day, I guess before they took him as a walk on, he said, he's a great player, but his dad's a you know what. Or oh, you know what? Yeah. I like. <laughs> We do know what, but that's, I think it's a good, and Steven, you were asking about how they handled it while stud was out. Like it seemed like they handled it, right? This was a couple of weeks ago. It was around the Tulsa game, but it's a credit again to Greg Stradrawa and the people around him that they didn't have like a disastrous offensive line performance without him. Yeah. Combination of Kennedy cook is going to be in a, is going to be a position coach somewhere one day. He's really good at his job. Recruits love him. The kid, the players on the team now love him. He's going to be an assistant coach somewhere, but then also we have to remember Kevin Wilson's an offensive line guy by trait. So there's another place where having the bonus play caller on your Ross, on your, on your coaching staff, he can just step right in and take over that room and kind of help out, you know, Kennedy cook. Cause it's not like he's hanging out in the tight end room all day. And he does know a little a thing or two about offensive linemen. So that combination, of your head GA of that room combined with Kevin Wilson allow things to run a little smoothly. All right. So the two, I think there's two main things I want to cover with offensive line before we get out of here. The second one will be the status of Harry Miller, which is I think interesting and important in its own way, but clearly they're okay without him. Steven, the other is the idea of sort of Matthew Jones as a almost co-starter Decent number of questions for Greg Sadrawa about Matthew Jones. We've talked about it on this podcast. He's been working in uh, Matthew Jones at the beginning. Let me see if I had this right. At the beginning of the year, he did not play in the first two games. Then since then, he's played 53, 62, 38, and 30 snaps in the last four games. Some of that was filling in for guys when they were dinged up, but where do you think things stand with Matthew Jones playing time? Because Greg Stradrawa seemed intrigued by his real role, but also you can't really play six offensive linemen at the same time. I think he played well enough that because of who the opponents were, they could rotate guys and it not necessarily be detrimental to what they were trying to do out there because you put guys in their original positions that we thought they would be playing in order to do it. You know, moving Nicholas Petit Frere over to right tackle and their Mumford back outside, taking Paris Johnson off the field <clears throat> and so on and so forth. I don't think it's a long-term thing. I think maybe we see it against Indiana. And then after that, we start to see it simmer down and they 
kind of pick their five. The problem is they have probably four different variations of an offensive line they could throw out there and be able to say we have one of the best offensive lines in the country. And for them, it's okay, which of these four gives us the best opportunity? And if you felt like what you threw out there against Minnesota is that, given what Harry Miller's status is and given you know how well Dewan Jones has played as a right tackle and how well those interior guys have played, I just think right now they're just rotating Matthew Jones because he's earned it, but long-term, he's just their sixth best offensive lineman, which in this case, when you're this deep at offensive line, that's can, that can happen here. Do you think it, again, Nathan, same question that we asked about Steel Chambers, like, does it matter? Does it matter if Matthew Jones plays a little bit or a lot, if they would somehow start Matthew Jones at guard, which means one of the current five starters wouldn't be a starter anymore? Does it matter to the success of the offense in Ohio State? Well, it, it's a very different situation. I think like you can you can have a specialized role for a linebacker in a way that it doesn't really work for an offensive lineman. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to yeah. sub him. You're not going to have a you're going to have a, a a third and long guard the way you would a late down linebacker. So I'm I'm with Stephen in that I think what this past stretch has allowed them to do it's. It, it's being it's it, we look at it as like what did this mean for Matt Jones that he got to get into these games and play I think of it more as what does it do for Thayer Munford that he didn't have to play as many snaps in some of these games what did it mean for some of these other guys who were a little bit banged up that they didn't have to play as many snaps I think that's what eventually makes Ohio State better so that's why I think it does it matter I think it matters that they have a sixth offensive lineman that is this good both for what it means if one guy can't play, but also just because it did give them this luxury to be able to get some guys off their feet or, well, I mean, they were probably still standing up on the sideline, but you know what I mean? Like get, get them, get them out of a rep, get them not get some wear and tear off of them because that's what makes Ohio state better in December as much as whether Matt Jones plays or not. It is interesting because the way Strajawa answered the question, and he was asked point blank, like, Hey, if Matt Jones keeps this up, do you have to like reshuffle this abs, this, this, offensive line and he said I think the exact quote was like absolutely that would be a really difficult decision so I guess he's saying that like maybe Matt Jones plays well enough that they have to think about it but how would you pull the trigger on that at this point either making him one of the starting guards and making Thayer Munford a tackle again do you make him the starting center because that's what he he called him basically the backup center even though he hasn't been doing that as much because he's been playing so much guard but called him the backup center today. Would would he be a threat to usurp Luke Whipler now and take over at center? Like I don't know. I don't know what it would look like to have Matt Jones become a starter at this point without an injury in front of him. That where you would just throw, where you would just reshuffle it at this point. I I do think the most important thing is that they are at the point where they could withstand long term injury on the offensive line because they could fix it with Matthew Jones, whatever it was if it was to because if it was to one of the current tackles they could move people around and figure it out and put Matthew Jones at guard if it's to, if it was to one of the current guards they'd put Matthew Jones at guard and if it was to Luke Whipler I think they'd put Matthew Jones at center right now because Harry mm-hmm. Miller which we'll get to in a second is not ready to come back so when your sixth guy is that good Stephen that's the biggest thing in the end it's not necessarily about are they going to you know bench Dewan Jones and move guys back around to make Matthew Jones a starter and that's what matters. You don't. Have, he allows you to never feel like you're in panic mode if things go wrong. That other than that, it's like to reshuffle for the sake of reshuffling. It has to be worth it. And if 
unless you think, you know, he's an outland award finalist waiting to happen, then it's not probably not worth reshuffling. Yeah. And there, there was this stretch. Um, I'm trying to find, I remember my, my story about it at the time for multiple, multiple years, like years and years, like Ohio state was just remarkably healthy on the offensive line. And one of the quickest ways to torpedo your season is have like two injuries on the offensive line when you don't really have any depth there. And all of a sudden, like your offense can't function at all because you have holes where guys can't do their job. And I'm not saying Ohio state got to that spot, but then they had a couple injuries, like, like Demetrius Knox was hurt the one year. Brandon Bowen was hurt the one year. Like that's how Wyatt Davis sort of started his career sliding in Ohio state's almost always going to be okay because they always have like a four or five star future starter, you know, like, listen, if they really had a really bad injury and it was like, well, Donovan Jackson's got to be ready to start. Donovan Jackson would get ready to start. No one thought he was mm-hmm. going to start as a five-star offensive guard this year, but if that's what had to happen, he could get ready, but it's really reassuring. Even if it happened in a game, Matthew Jones, I think would slide in seamlessly. So credit to them and credit. I know Nathan, you wrote a story about Matthew Jones earlier this year, like credit to Matthew Jones that, from the way Greg Stadrawa talked about it today, it sounded like all the stuff that Matthew Jones is doing now, if he had done this to the same level in April and August, maybe he would have been a starter from the beginning of the season. And the whole Dewan Jones, let's reshuffle the offensive line thing never would have happened. And that was the feedback that we were getting from the coaches at the time. You know, Ryan Day said it like, um, you know, that he thought there was some inconsistency with Matt Jones. Not that the ceiling wasn't there and attainable, but that they, he wasn't bringing it every down. And uh, whether that didn't quite get through to Matt Jones at the time, but we asked Matt Jones about that here recently within the last month or so. And he was like, yeah, like I understood what they were saying and now, or now I understand what they were saying. And I think that message has gotten through to him, but that did maybe seem to open the door because I think maybe Dewan Jones, who was another guy that needed that lesson as well, I think got the message quicker. Like he kind of got it by the time the spring rolled around and it seemed like he had started maybe locking in a little bit earlier. It's the combination of that, plus also Sadrawa has said this every time we've talked to him, the idea that like you're starting a brand-new quarterback, and you cannot have the middle of your pocket blowing up when you have a brand-new starting quarterback. And, yes, you need protection from the tackles. Yes, you do need that, but that's more for blind side, which is why Nicholas Petit-Ferrer is a left tackle now than it is the side he can see and maybe escape a little bit. You cannot, you absolutely cannot have your the middle of your pocket exploding when you've got a guy who's still trying to learn what he's doing out there. So that's part of it, too. If you're going to have some inconsistency – You'd rather have it at right tackle than at left guard. Yep. I thought one of the more interesting things to draw said today was how much, you know, last year's offensive line was pretty good. Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, the two tackles, like that was a pretty good offensive line. And he says that the, ta- the, the pocket they're creating this year is better than what they were doing last mm-hmm. year. And that that was a big emphasis that it wasn't just about protection. It was about keeping the area around him just cleaner in general, because um, he thought that Justin Fields, what was adequate for Justin Fields would not be adequate enough for CJ Stroud. Mm-hmm. And then Stud said, when you keep, we have to keep CJ Strouds clean. Mm-hmm. And when we keep him clean, you see what he can do. Yep. And that is what CJ Stroud has done the last couple of weeks and the level that he has played at starts with staying clean and not having guys in his face all the time. And so that offensive line and the young quarterback have worked together basically perfectly since the Akron Gates, you know, since the break that we've seen what the best of CJ Stroud looks like. And we've seen an offensive line that has allowed him to show that. All right. When we come back two things, 
talk about Harry Miller, talk about what percent of people have Audis next on Buckeye Talk. Will I make you wait until the end of the podcast for the Audi information? Will I? I will not. Yes, I, this, I'm reading a story from 2011, but it's based on a study at North Carolina State. And the person uh, doing the study asked the study participants whether they were innies or Audis. Stephen, what's your guess on what percent of people had Audis? Questions you never think you're going to get asked in life. 55% innie, 45% Audi. What do you think, Nathan? I think it's I think it's less than that, right? Is it like probably like 32% Audi? Four. Four percent Audi. Wow. I didn't realize it was that rare. this is gonna be weird, but I, I know a lot of people who have Audi then. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, now this was a, a specific study. Other things you'll find on the internet say more like 10% Audi, but in this study it was four percent Audi. Hmm. Can it can it change over time? <laughs> I wonder I mean, that. Can, can I don't I mean I'm not gonna be going around looking at kids at belly buttons. That's just weird. But could you like at four have an Audi? <laughs> but as you, you grow I'm not up cutting that audio clip out, just because <laughs> yeah, I know. Because I was I was reading one, there was something about obese people have like a funnel-shaped belly button, and I was like, that's what mine's called. I have a funnel. You could you could repel. In, down my belly button. And I wonder if I ever got abs, would I have an Audi, right? Like, is that a goal? It's like, I'm going to work out so hard. I'm going to give myself an Audi. Cause that's the thing. There, there are some people in, like, you could be a chubby kid, but then you hit a growth spurt and all that, you know, weight just kind of disperses itself. And now you're not really a chubby person anymore. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I still have some baby fat at age 48, but I do. I do wonder if you can out of yourself that if you work out hard enough, would that be a goal? My goal is to give myself an Audi at some point in my life. All right. Harry Miller. Great transition. Nathan, we have talked about Harry Miller on the Monday Madness pod. We were talking about the great mysteries of the season. And I brought up Harry Miller as a mystery. Clearly it still seems like a health issue, but he is like the thing that was hard is he would be the fourth team guys snapping at center in warmups. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And it sounds like from what Greg Sudrava was saying, it's like, he's just not practicing enough to be anything more than that at the moment. Did you feel like we learned things about Harry Miller's situation from Greg Sudrava on Tuesday? Well, I thought that was an important revelation. Um, just in our understanding of the team, because you're right that the Harry Miller thing just didn't quite make sense. We know he was hurt. We saw him come back to practice um, in a, like a limited way. And then we saw what appeared to be him back practicing full time. And then Ryan day said, yeah, he's back with the team. So we've seen this progression, but then it kind of thing that wasn't syncing up was then why is he still so on the outside? Why isn't he doing what Matt Jones does? I mean, he's a guy who was a starter all last year. Why doesn't he come in and get like first team reps occasionally, that sort of thing. And this explains it. Why, if they're saying that like, he can't, he's not getting through weeks of practice yet, um, from a health standpoint then that explains why that he's just not all the way back. And, you know, we're halfway through the year and with the depth that they're building, maybe he just isn't all the way back this year. Maybe this is a year that he doesn't have to be all the way back. And that we, we look at this as just a kind of a lost year for him. And the next year is kind of, he's back in the fold more. Greg Sudrawa, Stephen did clarify, not, not clarify. We knew it. 
It was a battle for the center job between Harry Miller and Luke Whippler. He said 10 days before the season started, they decided Harry Miller won it. And then we got there on that Thursday night against Minnesota. And then Harry Miller was on the injury report and Luke Whippler has started every game. So Harry Miller won a job that he has never been able to hold because of health. And then it's been this health seesaw back and forth. You don't want to give up on a guy. And certainly Ohio State's not giving up on him long term. But this is a five-star recruit who halfway through the year has not started at a job that he won. You can see the opportunities that will be there next year. Thayer Munford will be gone. Nicholas Petit-Frere almost certainly will be gone. You can move some guys around. You could have a world where Luke Whippler and Harry Miller are both starting. Does it maybe feel like that, Stephen, that this is just going to be a Harry, get healthy. We believe Mm -hmm. in you, but don't worry about coming back. We're six deep without you. Prepare yourself for 2022. Yeah, just a lost year for him, and I won't be shocked if he's starting. I don't think he'll be the starting center. I think Luke Whipple has done enough this year and will continue to grow in that role, but I won't be shocked if if Harry Miller is the other starting interior guy and then, like, Donovan Jackson is either battling – it just has to wait another year, which is, I mean, fine. You know, you don't have to start as a second-year guy. It's not on the offensive line. It's not the norm. So, yeah, that's what it is. I will say this, though. Harry Miller and Luke Whipple are two polar opposite human beings as top 100 centers because Greg, the way Greg Sajawa talks about Luke Whipple, it's like his hobbies are I watch film when I play football. Harry Miller has got 30 million other hobbies. Oh, yeah. And he plays football. And it is interesting. I think I mean, Harry Miller as a five star recruit, just kind of everything you want in a in an offensive interior offensive lineman. Yep. Also very intelligent, but just, you know. I think was is a little more of a, a physical component to it. Luke Whippler just seems like more of that grinder at center that he's a, he's, you know, a football rat. He's going to learn everything about everything. And that I understood why Harry Miller beat out Luke Whippler. But once Luke Whippler's installed, I also understand why Luke Whippler might never give it up. Mm-hmm. And that this is just like, well, and I do think like Harry, I think, has the versatility. I don't know. They really never thought of uh, talked about Luke Whippler as anything other than a center. You can be a little more undersized at center. It's a little more it's a little more of a grinder position sometimes, I think. And I think Luke Whippler just fits that. And if the long term answer, as you said, Stephen, is we'll find a spot for Harry to start. But like Luke Whippler is going to be the center for the next three years. I, I definitely think that's where this could land. I agree with that. It's it- they found a role for Harry last year. I mean, he was the backup center as a freshman and he was just good enough. He, they had to find a role for him as a sophomore, even if it meant Matthew Jones not winning a job. It didn't seem like through, throughout the spring they were doing that because we asked, hey, is Luke Whipper, you know, repping at any other position other than center? And it was no, he's, he's just the second team center right now. Would you, would this seem, Nathan, if we were playing, guess the offensive line next year, give me your guess Ooh. of offensive line next year from left tackle to right tackle. Paris Johnson Jr. at left tackle. I As as of today, man, man. Well, I'm going to say J- Johnson and Dwan Jones at the tackles and Luke Whippler at center. Yep. And then I think it is a matter of, I think the way it's going right now, because here's the thing. Like they didn't really like find a role for Harry Miller last year. He just went out and won the position. Like he was their right. fifth best offensive lineman mm-hmm. last year. So, but I also don't, man. But is wouldn't it be Harry Miller and Matthew Jones at guard? I and assume Donovan Jackson so, but, has to but wait. Donovan Jackson's really good. 
Yeah. So, but I think um, you're right. I think if I were guessing right now that the that Matthew Jones and Harry Miller will have proven themselves at a higher level by then, and I've also just be so much more experienced that they might be the two out in front. And then maybe Donovan Jackson becomes this year's Matt Jones. What if next year's Matt Jones? I should say. I agree. But or what if Matthew Jones is just the second coming of Josh Allaby, where he's just the ultimate sixth offensive lineman because he's really good in that role and these little spurts. And then Harry Miller and Donovan Jackson are just your guards. I mean, I so Harry Miller, by the way, did not play in the first four games. According to PFF, 11 snaps versus Rutgers, 15 snaps versus Maryland. Um, Landis was clearly working on something, but he was asking a lot of questions about Matthew Jones's grade, right? And that's like the, the, mm-hmm. the thing that's sort of not that they go by PFF grades, and that's what Landis was saying, but his PFF grade is 86.5. The only two higher people on the offense are CJ Stroud and Nicholas Petit Frere. Maybe he's Josh Allaby, but I think like Nathan, the issue is like, well, what if he's better than that? Like yeah. the Joshua Allaby was a really good backup guy. And then kind of like when they needed him to start in the Rose Bowl because Thayer Munford was hurt, like he was okay. But I don't know that anybody was ever saying like, man, Joshua Allaby could start. I don't know that anybody ever thought that. It feels like if Matthew Jones is playing, you know, he's played 183 snaps so far. Um, you know, Dewan Jones, by comparison, has played 355. So he's played half as many snaps as these guys. But he's grading out as well as like almost anybody in the country. It's hard to figure out what he is because I do think it applies to everybody. Sometimes you're a guy who can grade out at a super high level as a part-time player. And if they asked you to play every snap and the grind and the mental toll and the, the athletic ability and, and the assignment responsibility, everything that goes into that, your grade would go down perhaps a decent amount the more they ask of you. Yeah, Which you can look why. across the, the PFF grades and see examples of that where, where part-time guys are at, at mm-hmm. the top of the list. And so I think that is definitely something to to consider there. Um, but also, and so that's why, like, I, I wrote a thing about Matt Jones and I referenced that PFF thing a couple weeks ago, but I did that. It, I think that is important context because what, just from the physical toll of things, like you're more prone to making a mistake, the more tired and fatigued you get. And that affects a grade. And also, maybe this is not a fair question. What's more impressive? What? Because Donovan Jackson's grade's not that far down for a guy who showed up four months ago. I mean, he's 78.1 as a true freshman. And I understand that a lot of his is against second team. I get that. But it's what's more impressive than what Matthew Jones has done in basically this utility guy role? Is that grade more impressive than what Donovan Jackson's grade is as a true freshman? Even even if it is against second teamers, that I mean, that's for the sake of context. And then also, I mean, Harry Miller's grade for if he's not truly healthy and he's still in the green with his grade, I applaud that a little bit. I give that a little less attention, but I just I don't know. It it just seems I would maybe bank on that's not the Matthew Jones we're going to see next year if he's a true star, he's a full time starter, is being an eighty six point one. That's that's really high. Do you know how often Matt Jones has been guy. a champion, Stephen? Uh, give me two seconds and I will pull that up if you guys want to vamp for a second. Because I do think that the idea that you throw it open, I mean, they threw it open this year. Dewan Jones won a job. They threw it open to the extent this year that they thought we thought they had like the two most established starting tackles in the country and they moved guys around because somebody else won the right to be in that top five. 
you know, we know Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones, I think a year from now, and Luke Whipple will be in that top five. Then I think you can throw it open to Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson, and Harry Miller and say, may the best two guys win. And, and we don't know how that'll go because right now, Matthew Jones is doing something, but give Donovan Jackson a year under his belt and more reps and he may blow people away. Three times Tulsa, um, Akron and Rutgers. Okay. And I think, but I also think next year you also, Luke Whipler's going to have to defend his job too. Well, but the issue about like, maybe I don't know. unless you just decide this is our guy, Harry yeah. can play guard. Luke maybe can't as well. And so like Luke Whipler's the center, like that's, that's it. I guess to what you're saying, I mean, Nathan, if they really decided their best foreign of their best three interior guys are Jackson, Matthew Jones, and Harry Miller. And Luke Whipple not one of them. I just don't know. They might not even crack the door on that because you have to have Jones and Miller ready to be the backup center, but it also just might be like, well, Luke Whipple's the center. Like that's not, not that every job isn't always up for grabs, but like, that's like just not what we're doing because he's a returning starter who really doesn't fit anywhere else. And he's really good, and we function well with him as the pivot of the offensive line, and that's it. So Especially, I, you could be right, but it also could be that Whipler locks it down. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't dismiss them opening it up just because of what we saw them do this year. I mean, they were halfway through preseason camp, and they they flipped it. So uh, that tells me that they, they are somewhat committed to finding those five best guys kind of regardless. But the one thing they did is they did not – take a job away from somebody who had been a starter. They moved starters around, but you would be telling Luke Whippler, who who I think is going to wind up starting every game. If he starts every game this year, and he came here figuring he'd be a starter at some point, and then it's like, oh, you got beat out, and now you're not a starter. That would surprise me a little bit more than what happened this year. But I get your point. I get your but point. Harry, and Harry Miller also started all last year until he was unhealthy, and – has only not been able to play because so it's it kind of the same thing with him though. I mean, like there's to some extent, he is also a returning starter. That's or was. That's true. That's a good, yeah, but, which, so, yeah, but returning starter from left guard, not returning starter at center. Well, so, returning but, starter somewhere. But yeah. why, that's why my guess for next year would be Harry Miller at left guard, Luke Whippler at center and a Matthew Jones, Donovan Jackson battle for the other guard spot would be my yeah. actual guess on how that works out, even though, yes, it's wide open. I actually think it might more specifically kind of be that Uh, Matthew Jones again. So you said Tulsa Akron Rutgers, 53 Mm -hmm. snaps against Tulsa champion, 62 snaps against Akron champion, 38 snaps against Rutgers champion had 30 snaps last week against Maryland. Still a really high PFF grade for that. Although he had a really low pass blocking grade last week against Maryland. He might didn't he might have given up something that was why and he didn't I get great think, as a champion to give like a sack or and that might pressure. matter. That's the thing that's going to get interesting. Like is year two if if CJ holds on to this job, year two of a starting quarterback where you really start opening stuff up and they start really throwing it around like we saw with Justin, that passing grade is going to matter a lot more than maybe it does this year. Eighty-eight run blocking grade last week, thirty-four pass blocking grade last week for Matthew Jones. It was his first bad grade on either side. Uh, in any game so far. Okay. I think we'll do rapid fire for the Thursday pod. So tech subscribers will get uh, ready to take your questions on that. And then Friday we'll come back with, I think a good, a good look at Indiana. I'm going to definitely watch a few Indiana games. We want to read on this Indiana defense, Taiwan Mullen, one of their better secondary players might be back this week. That would be a big deal for them. So if Indiana is kind of healthy on defense and dial some stuff up, it has a chance to be an actual test for this Ohio State offense. We'll get into that on the Friday pod.
you guys want to listen to the college football playoff show, big Wednesday show, uh, digging in a lot on Georgia, a lot about Georgia and how good that defense is, a little bit of Cincinnati talk, uh, and then the, the Tuesday show that's on Apple Podcasts that was mostly about pretenders in the playoff world and how we view them and my utter dismay at Iowa's performance and feeling hoodwinked by Iowa for the first half of the year. You can find that on Apple Podcasts. The Wednesday show is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Sorry for that navel-gazing and attempt to make money off of, briefly, off of our podcasts. Okay, that's it. Readcleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Try the texts, listen to the pod. We'll see you Thursday for Nathan Baird, for Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.